All right. Welcome to episode two of How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. Today, we're going to be talking about your pre-recording marketing foundation. That's going to be your text message club, your email list, and social media. So today, our presenting uh, partner is Downtown Music Holdings. Downtown oversees CD Baby, which we're going to talk about in episode six with distribution. Song Trust, which we're going to teach you about in uh, episode five as far as music publishing goes. And make sure you get all your royalties for that. As well as Sound Drop, which is how you can pay out uh, songwriters if you are doing cover songs. So we'll do deeper dives on that later. But I wanted to thank our friends at Downtown for the support. So I'm going to go over... uh, A few things first before we bring out our esteemed guest, Kanita Hickman. And so in the the first episode, we talked about getting your art together, right? Like making sure that, in my opinion, you're not making music for other people or what you think people might like. Um, It's about what's true to your heart, your soul, and, and your spirit. So Moving along in that, and you guys did a great job. You all really, really inspired me with your emotion um, and your questions for Vernon Reed and and everything you had to say to support each other coming together as a community. That was really, really inspiring. So moving along in this methodical process of the modern music industry, in theory, since Tuesday, your art is together, right? Right. But before you hit the studio, before you start recording, we want you to set the foundation to build and grow your audience as well as monetize your music before it's even out. So let's go on that. And I'm going to go over a few things on exactly how to do that. So first, I want to talk about the power of data. Tech companies are the most valuable companies in the world because they have all our data. And so as musicians and music industry people, we're just giving that away to social media companies, to Spotify, and, and not even really thinking, not, not really thinking about it. So, I, you know, it's not like the most creative sounding thing, but I want you to think of yourself as a musician, as a tech company. And I'll give you a few examples of that. I think I mentioned in episode one, I came up managing a band called the Dresden Dolls. And that was about 20 years ago when I was in college. Uh, This was in Boston. And the Dresden Dolls were a local band on the rise. But Boston at the time was a very rock scene. And the Dresden Dolls were a punk cabaret duo. So they weren't getting booked at, you know, traditional venues. I bet no studios would have booked them. Um, But they were playing art galleries, lofts, and and parties. And they were starting to build a small team. I mean, they had me as the intern. Uh, I know they had an attorney at the time. And I remember the singer, Amanda Palmer, saying to me, because she had built an email list. And this was way before people were talking about this at conferences or really thinking about it. I would say this in front of Amanda, it came out of paranoia because she said, what if you go away? What if my booking agent goes away? What if my new attorney goes away? This is the only tool I have to communicate my music and art to my audience. So she started that email list and 
Like I said, the Dresnells were a duo. You could barely say hi to Amanda or Brian was the other person in the band or myself. I would do merch for them a lot in those days. You could barely say hi to us without us saying, would you like to sign up for the band's email list? And fast forward a few years later, Amanda was putting out her first solo album, uh, which was produced by Ben Folds. And she was signed to a major label subsidiary. And I'm dating myself by saying sales instead of streams. But in the first week, that album sold 10,000 copies. 9,000 were sold through her email list because we communicated directly to the audience. And 1,000 were sold by the label who had one job. And we also built in, you know, through the email list, through the website, different bundles, different packages, because again, this was the iTunes era. So, you know, those thousand sales through the label were just at $9.99. But because we had built in bundles and packages, Amanda easily cleared $100,000 within a few, I mean, within a few hours, you know, I was going to say within a day, but within a few hours, right? So that's a huge example of the power of what we call direct-to-fan communication. And we're going to do a deeper dive um, on this in episode seven, how to market with or without a budget. But I want to give you the background of why I want you to set up a text message club before you start recording, why I want you to set up an email list. And then also, you guys usually have this covered, but Uh, I want to make sure that you have your social media handles in place as well. And Amanda went on to raise the most money ever for a musician on Kickstarter, over a million dollars. And that was once again on the back of that email list. And we'll talk more about text message collection too. Um, I want you doing both, um, but it's really like whatever you're most drawn to. Um, So like I said, through that email list, Amanda went on to generate over a million dollars on Kickstarter. And last year, I had the absolute honor of interviewing Seth Godin, who really invented what we're talking about right now, permission marketing. And I mentioned this story, and I mentioned uh, that I worked with Amanda and the Dresden Dolls, and he pointed out something to me that I, I hadn't even really put together. So that solo album ended up selling 20,000 copies which to the label, which anybody can look up, um, you know, Roadrunner is, is, was, is the label. That's a massive failure. Okay. 20,000 copies, you know, in the mass market is a total failure. And so they, they wanted to drop her because of that. Well, guess how many backers Amanda had on Kickstarter to get to a million dollars? Yes, exactly. 20,000. So that's, that's what I want to talk about for a little bit to get going is you know, are you just popping a Spotify link up there? And, and trust me, like, we're going to make sure you're distributing and you're on Spotify and you're on Tidal and you're on Apple Music and all that stuff. But your audience and your community want to support you. And unless you tell them how, they don't know how. So I want you making dollars, tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, and not just fractions of a penny. So hopefully those real-life examples help to bring to life something that might sound a little boring, text message collection, and email lists. Because that's, you know, really how you monetize, not only from day one, but from when you're, when, from when before your music is, is even out. And so for text message clubs, I, I love the platform community.com. That's really the go-to 
for musicians, very easy to use. Um, that way you're not giving out your personal phone number and with things like WhatsApp, you know, there's limits. That's also going to be your personal phone number. So community, community.com is the way to go. And then for email list software, I really like MailChimp because it's free to get started up to 2000 email addresses. So check out MailChimp. And then as I mentioned, especially, again, you guys usually have this covered, but if, especially if you're starting a new band, group, project, et cetera, before you hit the studio, get your social media handles in place. Because when your music is out, you don't want to be rushing and scrambling and, okay, I have to get my Instagram together and, and all that. So now is the time to make sure in this pre-recording marketing foundation that you have your community.com text message club set up, you have your email list, and then you have your social media handles. And the other reason that you want to have your social media handles in place is so you can engage along the way and bring your fans along for your recording journey. And for some people, that could be like sharing a demo. Um, for others, that's going to be, you know, I'm not ready for that. You know, it's, so you need to do what what's right for you. You can keep them in the loop as you go every step of the way, or if understandably, you just want to hole up in your studio just, you know, post an image of some of the instruments in the studio, right? Like show a teaser that, that something is coming. But the other thing I want you to do, like I said, is to monetize, start monetizing your music before it's out. And so what I'm talking about there is launching a pre-order. So again, instead of just waiting until your money, until your, your money, until your music is out, and posting that Spotify link, launch a pre-order in advance of your music coming out. Now, you can do this through your website. That's where you are going to have the most return on your investment. That's where you're going to get, you know, the highest profit margins. I can't code. I love Squarespace. Very easy for non-coders like me. Um, my company's website is built on Squarespace. We sell books. We sell a whole bunch of things through it. So if I can do it, you all can do it too. The other place that you want to set up your pre-order is on Bandcamp. On Bandcamp, you're going to keep 85% of what you bring in. Uh, and you're also more often than not going to get the email addresses when the fan opts in. So if Squarespace is torture to you and, and you truly can't do it, at least do your, run your pre-order on Bandcamp, but ideally uh, you want to be on both your web, you want to be launching your pre-order both on your website that you own and control where you're going to keep like 97% of the royalties um, as well as on Bandcamp. And I actually did that with the book this podcast is based on. I launched a pre-order for it when I was halfway done writing the book because I was like, okay, I'm halfway. I'm going to finish writing this book. And I ended up, uh, and, and, you know, similar to you guys, you could put out a, a track or a demo so people know what they're pre-ordering. I released the introduction, which was an interview uh, with my friend Zoe Keating. So people kind of knew what it was about. But my point is, I ended up recouping all of the editing and printing expenses before the book even came out. In fact, I didn't just recoup those expenses. I was turning a profit before it came out. So again, I know this is your baby. I know how, you ex how excited you are, but launch a pre-order in advance of your release. And this is, you know, I should have said, 
this is if you have a clear vision for your release, okay? So if you know you're making a single, an EP, an album, a space opera, whatever your vision is, that's where you're going to want to launch a pre-order. And if you don't have a clear vision for your release and you're hitting the studio or the home studio and you're going to start your creative process there, that is totally cool too. I want you to launch a Patreon. And so that way you can start monetizing your journey and let your fans know, hey, I'm, I'm starting to record. I want to bring you along on this process because again, your fans can't support you if they don't know how to. So, you know, to recap, you want to launch a pre-order if you have a clear vision for your release and you want to launch a Patreon if you're hitting the studio and you don't have a clear vision for the release. And like I said, there's, there's no right or wrong answer. It's just whatever creative situation that you're in. And then, you know, you want... Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama is back along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. To be engaging along the way to really build that hype into the release, right? Like, you know, it 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 breaks my heart when I hear from up and coming artists who say, "Well, I just want to be like Beyonce and do a surprise drop," right? Like, we're not all Beyonce yet. I would love to be Beyonce, um, but you want you want to tease it out, right? And even Beyonce does in her own way, right? Like, it's such a big deal when it's like, "Oh my gosh, her social media profile." pick changed or something, you know, something's coming. So even in her way, she's letting us know, get ready. And that's what I want you to be doing as well. So I just want to talk um, for a moment about building your pre-order. So you want to have a price point for everyone. You know, it could start with a dollar for a digital track or a sticker, badge, button, that kind of thing. But you also want to make sure that you have high-end items as well, which I'll go through. And that's also how Amanda really got to a million dollars on Kickstarter. Um, And, you know, she was further along in her career, but she had, I think, like $25,000 house shows. She had, we'll talk about this more in the merch episode, maybe don't have stone statues because that's hard to ship. But I think those she was selling for like $15,000. Um, And so when you have those higher price point items, that's what's going to help, you know, that's what's going to help you bring in more money. But you want to take care of everyone, right? So you want to have, you know, maybe a dollar, like I said, for a sticker, badge button, a track, maybe $8 for a digital download. And you also want to create kind of FOMO as you go. So like fear of missing out as you go. That's happened to me in a good way as a fan where I'm checking out a pre-order and I I think, oh, I'm just going to spend, you know, 10 bucks on a digital album or whatever. And then, you know, maybe there's a CD for 15, maybe there's vinyl for 25 or 30, depending on how much your vinyl costs. Oh, maybe there's a deluxe vinyl for 50. And then suddenly I'm spending a hundred dollars, right? So you want to make sure that you are building off of each step of the process in your pre-order Um, and make it more enticing as you go. And also include those lower end items 
um, so people can get their stickers and, and that stuff um, in addition to things like, you know, a vinyl test pressing that you're selling for $250 or, or $500. And again, we'll do a deeper dive on this in the merch episode, but you also want to keep uh, cost of goods sold in mind. Um, that can be shorthand, you know, shortened to COGS, but um, really all I'm saying there is say you want to include hoodies or something, like hoodies can be really expensive to print up. And again, we'll do a deeper dive into merch on 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 demand merch companies that frankly I approve of because you want to keep an eye on quality control there. Um, but now is the time to use your creative skills as well because you could have as part of your pre-order an autographed lyric sheet and sell that for $50, right? That's going to cost as much as that piece of paper. Or in thinking about traditional merchandise items, posters usually cost about 10 cents to press up. So you could have, you know, posters bundled in with your music and maybe the poster alone is, is $10 and then you autograph it. And then maybe you have autograph posters for $25. And then maybe you personally, you know, personalize the autograph for $50. So get creative, think about the things that you want as a fan, and then think about how much it costs to make it. Maybe it's a, you know, custom outgoing voicemail. Maybe it's kind of a cameo style video, right? So these are all things you can build into your pre-order to monetize your music before it's even out. And then once you have your pre-order together, that's when you want to get it out to your text message club sub subscribers, to your email list subscribers, and of course, on, on your social media. Then you use those channels that we already set up to spread the word. And you really want to take care of those direct-to-fan fans. So maybe for the text message club fans and the email list fans, definitely get it to them first, but maybe offer them a 10% discount. You know, really take care of those people that have given you permission to have their data, to have their phone number, to have their email list, make it worth their while to get that text message club. So that's what I have to say about monetizing your music before it's out. We'll have um, a few areas for questions, um, but does anyone have any questions on that as we get going? That'll be kind of like the school lect lecture part. Um, but... Next up, I want to bring my friend Kanita up. So today, our guest is Kanita Hickman. Kanita has been Radio Milwaukee's Music Ambassador of the Year. She's been co-chair of the New Leaders Council of Wisconsin. She's been a RISE Fellow, served as Director of Artist Support and Outreach at Imagine MKE. She's been a Brand Partnership Manager at Beautiful Brown Girls. I'm so honored that she serves on the board of I Voted. She's had countless bylines, been on tons of panels, and is currently chief culture creator at Katera, her middle name, which I just learned, very beautiful. Katera is content creation and is a content creation and media production company that connects creatives with businesses, producing live events, brand campaigns, brand partnerships, and content that amplifies both businesses and creatives. I am so excited to introduce my friend, Kanita Hickman. Welcome, lady. So good to see you. Good to see you, too. Absolutely. 
Okay, let me make sure I look good. Do I look good? Do I look good on camera? Come on. I'm nervous. <laughs> you look amazing. Thank you. And we can see ourselves. So yeah, we can see that I'm, you so look I'm really trying to capture myself, get my top knot together. Okay, we're going to do this. Great. So we always start at the beginning. You say that you've never had a backup plan. No. What does that mean to you? Um, I think I always knew I wanted to support independent artists. I'll say that's changed the delivery of how I would help independent artists has changed, yeah. including this morning. I woke up and was like, huh, maybe I don't want to do that anymore. Um, but I always well, knew why? that. Let me stop you there. So um, one of the things that when I started working full time for myself 18 months ago, I left my job and been working for me. So I'm very excited about that. Um, Y'all can clap for that. <laughs> Black woman working for herself. Right. Y'all can clap for that. Okay. Um, and so um, one of the opportunities that became available is work that I've been doing with the art museum, mm-hmm. um, producing their Lakeside at Ma'am content. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do that at other art museums. And then I woke up this morning and was like, do you really want to do that? You don't want to live out of hotels. No, you let's, let's center back into where we should be and what we should be doing. So, but yeah, no, no backup plan. I knew somehow this would work out. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, but I just kind of stayed on the journey. I love independent creatives. Yeah. So you had no backup plan to work in music. It's like, this is who I am. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And in some capacity, I did, again, I didn't know when I was working in artist management, I thought, well, maybe this would be the thing. And then it was like, well, do I want to start a record label? And so it was always the delivery was changing, but I knew the end goal would always be supporting independent creatives. I love that. And we're grateful for that. Thank you. Yes. So how old were you when you began your career in music and how did that happen? Hmm. So I wrote my first article. So I got my first byline at 14. So I started writing at 14. I started writing for a teen publication that allowed me to interview artists at about 15, 16. So I would say about 15, 16 is when it started. And then just kind of ran the gamut through radio, through independent public relations campaigns, artist management. I've kind of been all around. That's right. And, you know, when you're interviewing artists as a teenager, what did that teach you? That it's a job, right? Like, I remember, okay, I'm not going to tell y'all the artist, right? Because we're not going to spill that type of tea on while we being recorded. But maybe talk to me after and I'll spill the tea. But there was an artist who came to town and um, I was meeting to do business. Mm-hmm. And his tour manager was like, yo, like, where the girls at? Where mm-hmm. the girls? You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, so I call my friends. I give each of them the same speech. Like, yo, this ain't that, Right. Like, we not exchanging phone numbers. We leaving together. Don't do nothing to embarrass me. All of them did something to embarrass me that night. (laughs) All of them. And for me, I'm like, yo, this is my job, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I, there was another artist um, during his first album, I would see him after the shows. I'd meet him at the club or before the show, we would go out to lunch or something like that. To me, it just felt like work. It didn't feel like, celebrity gazing, Mm -hmm. I guess. And so that's why I mentioned those two stories because for folks who don't necessarily work in the industry, it's super easy to get like caught up in all that. And and for me, I think it, I found a way to stay grounded and be like, this is just work. 
Is oh my gosh, that that's such a good point. I mean, I'm sure many of you have experienced that, but when people ask what you do or when they've asked me what my job is, uh, especially when I was an artist manager, they'd say, oh, that's fun. And I'm like, fun's one word for it. I mean, it's yeah, work. Yeah, I tried um, Bumble for like 30 days. And, you know, people would be like, oh, so what do you do? Like, I wouldn't even tell them like, oh, yeah. I own my own company or I work with artists or mm-hmm. I have my own digital series. I just, like, yeah, I just, I, I work for myself. Exactly. Well, like, what do you do? I, I work for myself. One of them dudes Googled me. I found my Instagram page and started reading articles about me. And I'm like, shit. <laughs> Why would you do that? It's so true, though. And I, and I don't worry about you guys. But I remember when I was tour managing years ago and people would want to be backstage. I'm like, it's a bunch of production people putting on the sound and lights and the show. But, you, you know, know, I love backstage for for that because I, I realize that I'm somebody who loves the I love the putting together of the thing. So yeah. I love the structure. I love the meetings. I love the, did we come up with a rain plan if it's an outdoor yeah. event? Like that, that stuff like really gets me going. Um, can I just echo what she just said? Because I was working um, on an event here in Milwaukee. Uh, it was in late October. Mm-hmm. And I was like, please, it, it was an outdoor event. I was like, please have a weather plan, you know, because I've, I've actually seen that go go wrong with events here where someone is spending a lot of money and then the weather is terrible and then that's just not so get a high school gym just some sort of back backup plan mm-hmm. that's a good reminder for sure so how did you I mean you just mentioned this but how did you start writing for publications like the source urbanology baller status wrap up and relevant magazine I mean that's quite the resume yeah thank you um I my mother my mother is not a media or a creative person, right? But every once in a while, she'll hit me with a gem. And I would want it to leave a job or something. And she was like, you can quit your job for six months. And I was still living at home at the time. She was like, you don't have to pay no rent. But you need to go to Barnes & Noble's and find every magazine you want to write for mm-hmm. and email them. So on Saturdays, I would spend my time at Barnes & Noble's um, looking at the masthead. So anybody who's looked at a magazine, you know what the masthead is, where all of the editors are listed, what departments, email addresses. And I would send them clips of the last article that I wrote. Good. And I would say, hey, now I don't recommend this, but I would say, hey, let me write the one first one first. If you like my, for free, mm. let me do this first one for free because I'm still building my byline. If you love it, then like pay me for the second one. They did not pay me for the second one. But I did <laughs> I did get the bylines that allowed me to to get to other magazines. So that's how I got wrap up. Um, I wrote for The Source twice. And my second article was actually on the cover. Um, I wrote for magazines out in um, Canada. Uh, my Kevin Federline album review was translated into Russian. Do we know who KFED is? Some of us do Britney Spears. Britney Spears, Baby Father. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, can't believe I reviewed his album. But yeah, so that happened. <laughs> well, that's such a perfect example, though, of you reached out, right? Mm-hmm. You're not just sitting there like, well, how do I write for the source? Or how does this happen? You put yourself out there. That's a common theme in my life. I just told you yeah. when we were in the green room that on my, one of my whiteboards at home, I have seven whiteboards. Mm-hmm. On one of them is a list of like 250 places I want to build a relationship with. And so for the past two weeks, I've been just hitting this list every day, finding an email address, finding them on LinkedIn. And I feel comfortable saying that this is part of my strategy on a podcast. Here's why. 
because you can't get out of the work, right? Yeah. Like you have to do the work. Like Beyonce can do a, a surprise drop because she's done the work. The truth is, though, there's two types of people in this world. Y'all don't have to keep doing close-ups on me either. But y'all can if y'all want to. Y'all can if y'all want to. You look I, amazing. Y'all can if you want to. But I'm just saying you don't have to. Don't, don't feel obligated to that. But there's two people. There's two people in the world. <laughs> I don't have on makeup today. But there's two people in the world, right? There's people who want to know how the cookies are made. They want the recipe. And there's folks who just want the cookies, right? They'll mm. listen to you talk about the recipe, but they just like run them cookies though, right? Mm. Give them to me already made, packaged up. Give them to me now. I am a give me the recipe. Yeah. Because I'm going to take your recipe. I'm going to try it for a little bit. And then I'm going to remix it and add my own stuff to, to make it my own. So I, I do free meetings with artists and tell them the recipe. And then I stalk them online to see if they're following the recipe. Mm. Most people are not. And I think in this moment, wherever you are as an artist or whether you're here managing an artist, it's really thinking about which type of person are you? Because if you don't have the team to make the cookies for you, mm-hmm. then you really need the recipe. And you need to be in the kitchen putting in work until you can get somebody who can make those cookies for you. Oh my gosh, that is so true. I mean, you guys are my hardcores because you're here. But I've had so many conversations with artists when they say, well, how do I get in the source or how do I get on Summerfest? And, you know, like for Summerfest, I'm like, well, you need to sell a few hundred hard tickets here. You know, can will 200 or 300 people pay $10 to uh, see you at No Studios or, or see you at the Cactus Club? And so, you know, we're just being blunt. I just want to really reiterate what you just said. Sometimes people don't like the answer to the question, but that is the answer to the question. Mm-hmm. You you can't get out of the work. You can't get yeah. out of the relationship building. And I mean, to set me up for the work, I have like five different email templates that I've created. Um, I have my list of names and I'm literally yesterday I sat in my pajamas in a bathrobe and a satin bonnet all day on my couch um, listening to the TV Copying and pasting, copying and pasting, copying and pasting. I did that off and on from like 1 to 8.30. And I sent out, I think like 140 emails yesterday. That's the work. I want to start moving in different markets. So I have my list of cities, 16 different cities. Um, I have the blueprints. And for me, the blueprint is who do I need to talk to in every city, right? Mm -hmm. And I have that blueprint because I know the people I need to talk to in Milwaukee to be able to make money. You know what I'm saying? And so it's not everybody. Everybody is not going to benefit from a Katera service. Everybody is not going to benefit from having your art in their building or from booking you at a show. But who are those people? And how do you kind of standardize that plan so that you can find those people in every city that you want to be in? That's what I do every day. Well, you've really exemplified building yourself up locally, and now you are applying that regionally and nationally. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge point or, you know, huge goal of what we're trying to do with this season. So thank you for that. And you know, you're my go-to here. Like if if I want to get in touch with someone here or I want, I'm like, I want, you know, feedback or an opinion on what's happening in Milwaukee, you're my first call. So you've conquered this scene um, and I love that you're expanding regionally and nationally. And just as your friend, can I just can I just shine a light on you for a minute? When M sends me an email like, yo, I need to get in touch with such and such and such and such. Like, I just be like, 
But who don't know Emily White? Like who's not reading who's not reading Billboard magazine? Like why is my why is my good sis having to send out multiple emails? You know what I'm saying? I be feeling away. Like I'm super like when I'm not on stage, like I'm super hype girl for my homies. Like I People should, my homegirls should just really have me for free as their assistant to just do introductions for them before they enter the room, right? Like, I should have introduced you today, right? <laughs> just so that I could, like, really hype you up. But, yeah, like, that should be wild. Because I'm like, yo, she, like, international over here. Like, her clients have been in the Olympics. She's starting a nonprofit. Like, what are we talking about? Like, if you see her address line, that's the first email you should open. That's what I say. But that's just me. Okay. I'm well, done Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I, I deeply, deeply appreciate that. But it's interesting because there were, there were some things I was trying to get done for this podcast and it wasn't happening. And then I emailed you and it got done in two seconds. And I mentioned that to my mom who was like, well, yeah, it's what you're saying before. It's like, my mom was like, Kanita works. Kanita get things done and gets things done. So like, that's what we're talking about is the hustle, the follow through. And, you know, not to get too off track, but I, I think this is relevant to... Um, this scene to really to every scene. Cause like I said, I went to college in Boston. Um, people in Chicago can kind of be like this too. Like, you know, I personally, so I live in New York and I feel that people in New York and LA are actually much more open to connecting, to networking, um, to working together and here, and this is not a Milwaukee disc. Cause I see this, like I said, I, I see this in Chicago. I see this in Boston. Um, people can be a little more closed off. So I will try cold emailing people here, which you guys should do what Kanita said before, like go through the byline and email people. Um, Cause I do want to comment on that. But I think as, and this is not like a small city, right? You could be in South Dakota, you could be up North. Um, but I think in, dare I say, secondary markets, we need to be working together. We need to be co-amplifying, you know, especially as a music community, especially as a creative community. And just know that, like I said, I think New York sometimes might have a reputation of being cold or whatever, where, like I said, it's like everyone wants to connect. Everyone wants to work together. Everyone wants to get together because helping you helps me. And it's Mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I will say, like, look, I do think there's a scarcity mindset in Milwaukee. And I also want to highlight that that scarcity mindset is real. Like, depending on if you're a musician, what type of genre you do, what part of the city you live on, there are just spaces that are just not readily accessible to you. You know what I'm saying? And I can shout out some of the groups who struggle with, you know, finding um work at at other venues or whatever but again we could talk offline when i'm not being recorded i'm happy to spill tea but i think so i think it's real but i think for me so for example one one example i will give is mile of music who's heard of mile of music uh okay so mile of music is this music festival in appleton and when they started they just took over um, like College Avenue, which is one of their music boulevards. And it leads Sorry to- Sorry to interrupt. Um, Appleton is in Northern Wisconsin yes. for people that yes. don't know. And so thank you. Thank yeah. you for that because people didn't know. My bad. So, um, and it leads up to their music university, uh, Lawrence, Lawrence University, right? Okay. But they were, they were not playing cover music. You could not be a tribute band. They were not playing what they call urban music, right? Mm-hmm. So it was original music, folk, acoustic, rock, whatever. What I was telling my hip hop artist is find a cool rock artist to collaborate and do a remix of a song, right? They thought I was bugging. 
they was like, that's the dumbest idea we've ever heard. And I'm like, but how else do you start to play to other audiences, right? I think now they've expanded that to include other genres, including like hip hop and things like that. But at first for years, they weren't. Me being who I am, I like to know what everybody doing. So I was like, let me volunteer. So I volunteered. They put me up um, in a monastery to like, um, so I'd have lodging accommodations. But I volunteered that whole weekend just to see what their music festival was like. And I think they first couple years, they was doing like 35,000 in attendance Mm -hmm. over that weekend, really rivaling what Summerfest, like kind of showing like, hey, we got some other music festivals Mm -hmm. who are doing things, um, cool things too. But thinking about how do you get in front of other audiences doing what you love to do, that would have been a way for artists to start performing. Yeah, and I believe Corey Chisel, uh, the artist Corey Chisel, had a hand in starting that. Um, I I know Corey fairly well. Um, I mentioned in the previous episode, I worked with Brendan Benson of the Raconteurs. Corey was a big Raconteur, I'm sure still is, a big Raconteurs fan. And like, I'm sure it was an email, but I want to say the word letter, like wrote a letter into them. And somehow, <laughs> somehow it came Brendan's way. Brendan loved it. They started working together. They were friends. And so- to me, this goes back to what you were saying before, like finding those mastheads, finding those contacts. Like, look, I'm old enough that like when I was coming, when I was a teenager in the 90s, like, you know, that was the early days of the internet. And mm-hmm. Although this can be very overwhelming, you have access to people to reach out. You can find their email address. You can find their Instagram. You can find their LinkedIn. You can find their Twitter. So you can sit here and be like, well, nothing's happening. Or you can start reaching out to people. And- I'll add two things. I know that you got a whole list of questions, so we can get back to the questions. But two things I, I want to mention is one, LinkedIn is a place where people expect you to reach out to them. Yeah. So if you're looking for a music festival and you go to Instagram, and again, I can give you this tea because everybody's not going to take the advice. Okay, mm-hmm. so you can go to Instagram, hit that music festival. You're going to get their social media manager, whoever is in their marketing mm-hmm. department handling that, probably an intern. You go to that same festival's page on LinkedIn, you'll be able to see the producer. You'll be able to see the booker. You'll be able to see past employees of that company. And they're ex- look, LinkedIn is the place where you can DM people and let just don't be creepy, right? Don't do creepy stuff. But for business purposes, people expect you to do that on LinkedIn. The other thing I wanted to highlight is this is my approach to making connections. One, because it works. It's the direct pathway to meeting people. But two, because I didn't finish college. Mm. And for me, I was super insecure about that. Like, I just stopped being insecure about that like a couple years ago. Mm. But when I left college in 2004, there was no, like, people weren't talking about not finishing college. Like, you either went to college or you had a full-time job. That was it. And so my mom definitely had that conversation with me. She was like, so where are you about to work? Because I don't understand what you're doing right now. So, like... Um, And so for me, I recognize that if I had completed college, I would be plugged into this alumni network that would carry me for the rest of my life, along with the debt. But I would have access to (laughs) I would have access to this alumni network that will work for me in ways. Right. I didn't have that, though. So I had to learn how to get through the back door to get in that same room that the folks. Right. So one of my friends likened it to getting into a club. You get into a club, you're going to show your ID, you're going to make sure you dressed right, depending on who you are, right? Dress codes is a real thing, and they're going to let you in the front door. I know the person in the kitchen making the fries, though, so I'm coming in through the back. Now, by the time I get to the bar, I look like everybody else. 
I'm in the room just like you are, but I, I have to come through the back. Mm-hmm. And so for years, that has been my approach, come through the back. Mm-hmm. I literally, maybe just a week ago, started affirming myself and saying, I deserve to be here. I have all the credentials. I'm supposed to be here, right? I don't have to come to back no more. Mm-hmm. So. Well, um, sometimes the back, though, is really where the magic happens. I mean, assistants rule the world, you know, like it sounds obvious, but be nice to everyone. And I think sometimes when you are targeting um, like an executive or something like they're super busy, they have a million clients, they have kids, you know, so um, you'll hear this throughout the podcast. It really is, you know, the assistants, the day to day, the up and coming people, the bartenders, And that's crazy because when I first started, so I I have a music series called uh, a travel and culture series called Artist Eats. I interview independent musicians at a local restaurant and then they do a performance. And so most of these episodes have been self-funded. But when I started looking for partners, I was on LinkedIn looking at the CEO Mm. until I realized the department I needed to talk to was marketing Mm. because they manage the money. They're the ones who are going to green light a sponsorship on my show. Mm-hmm. That blew my mind. I don't even look for the CEO no more. I'm looking for the marketing director and I'm looking for like the frontline marketing person because they still trying to prove themselves, right? So they want to come to that staff meeting with a yeah. good ass idea. I'm here with your good ass idea. <laughs> Let me help you work up the ranks because we're going to do this together. That's such a good point. And, um, you know, just to wrap up this part of the conversation, like, you know, I was talking about email before. That's the case here too. And um, I also have a book called Interning 101 that I might repurpose um, into something called like Modern Office Office Basics, keeping it all in yourself together. Um, but my point on that is, you know, on one hand, don't be afraid to email people, but be mindful about when you are emailing them. And, you know, if you only have time on a Saturday night or like every college student that needs to email me and industry people um, on Christmas break, which is the only time we take time off, um, there's tools like Boomerang for Gmail where you can schedule emails to go out on a Monday or Tuesday because the whole goal is for your email to get read. Um, So be mindful of when you are sending it. Keep it short and to the point. You know, like, again, to go back to your example of reaching out to these national publications, Kanita wasn't just saying, like, you know, I, I love what you do and, you know, I would like to write for you. She was sending writing samples of how she can actually help them. So, you know, when we'll get way into this when we're talking about, um, you know, how to book a show and build a sustainable touring career. We'll have Matt Berenger from the Pap Theater Group. Matt doesn't, I mean, not to speak for him, but folks like Matt don't want to hear your life story as an artist. They want to know how many tickets you sold. Are you getting some airplay? Has Kanita been writing about you? What are you doing for them? You really could be the Beatles and they're not going to care unless you sell tickets. So keep it short and to the point. And even the artists I, I know that are real, have a lot of experience as far as booking shows. Every time they send me an email, I can still make it shorter for them. So again, the the goal, the point of sending an email to someone you're trying to get attention from in press, in radio, uh, at a venue, in marketing is for it to get read. So be mindful of timing and length. All right. Well, I mean, we kind of just covered this, but how should artists approach press locally and nationally? Get you somebody to write you a press release. That's what you should mm-hmm. do. Find a college student if you don't have it in your budget. Um, who's trying to build up their, uh, listen, the media needs content, mm-hmm. right? 
They need content. And like, don't sleep on the fact that people want to talk about the new thing. Everybody wants to be a tastemaker, right? Everybody wants to be a kingmaker. Get you someone who can write good press releases, okay? That's first. And if they can, have them pitch for you. So slowly mm-hmm. start developing your media list. I have a media list and I have somebody who writes press releases for me, right? And every time I'm releasing a new episode, when I, um, when I got the award with Radio Milwaukee, I sent out a press release like the next morning, right? Like I wasn't about to play with these people and I knew I was the first black woman to get it. Oh, we're going to talk about it, okay? It's in my email signature. It's going to be 2025 and that shit's still going to be on my signature from 2021 <laughs> because I want people to know I was the first black woman in Milwaukee mm-hmm. to get this award. 10 years after the first black person got it, who was Vic uh, Thomas. So shout out to Vic over at Summerfest. So that's first. Secondly, put together a marketing plan. Stop relying just on social media. You still need a street game. Mm-hmm. True story. I came up here for to do a flyer drop for um, a client. I keep Katera and Artist Eats flyers in my car. I ran out to my car, dropped a couple flyers next to my client stuff. I actually got a call from somebody from No Studios who had been here having coffee and was like, yo, I seen your flyer. Tell me more about your services for artists. I would put, put them up at Collectivo. I would get my friends sending me pictures like I spy Katera at Collectivo on Humboldt. So like that shit works. Like mm-hmm. the stuff that the 80s rock bands was doing, like Vixen and Poison and Motley Crue, like going up and down Sunset. I'm dating mm-hmm. myself, but I used to watch a lot of VH1 as a child <laughs> because I just because like even though I was in hip hop music, I wanted to know what the rock boys was doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like. I think that's helped me to be well-rounded, right? Because I, I want to know what everybody's doing and how can I bring that to my clients. So don't sleep on the fact that having a good offline campaign matters too. If you're doing a little bit offline and a little bit online and you got somebody helping you get some press coverage every now and then, that, 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 those are really the foundations of a good marketing campaign. And you need that. You need to be thinking about when are you going to drop that album mm-hmm. and what are the other pieces that are coming with it. And even if you're just going to do a single, right? As an artist manager, I know by the time, or a former artist manager, when by the time artists get done with their album, they're sick of it. Yeah. And I would have to remind artists, but the public hasn't heard it. We're not sick of it. So, like, I don't really give a damn how sick of it you are. We're about to push this album. <laughs> like, you know, Chris Brown was pushing mm-hmm. albums for, like, two years. And he would do, like, four mm-hmm. singles. You know what I'm saying? So, like, we have to really think, look at social media as a tool. It's a new thing that you can use on top of all of the other things that have worked for years. Mm-hmm. And your press release should, again, we'll do a deeper dive on this, uh, on how to market with or without a budget in episode seven. Um, but your press release should be one page, a PDF. I actually write my own press releases for iVote. And like we work with Biz3, which is, you know, is like yes. one of the top yes. PR firms. And- when I was freelance writing, yeah. I used to get a lot of um, press releases from Biz3. Right. Yep. So don't be afraid to write your own press release because um, that's that's just how I chose to work with. I mean, I needed their contact. Yeah. They service it. You know, I just, but. I'm going to be honest. I just hate writing press releases. I don't write them for my clients. I don't write it for myself. I got a homegirl who charged me $60 and I that yeah. is money well spent. All I got to do is send her the information. She hop into Google Doc, send her the information, send her a quote. She get all that together. Well, and that's such a good point. I like writing them, you know? So mm. figure out, you know, what's in your wheelhouse and what is absolutely tor- torture that you keep pushing off. So, yeah. you know, keep that in mind for sure. 
So you mentioned artist management. How did you get into artist management? So I was doing this event called Unleashed Talent Showcase because, again, I love independent creatives. And there was a I was doing it with a a friend of mine and he said, I've got this guy who rides a skateboard and he can put our flyers everywhere on a skateboard. And his name uh, is Roger, Roger Dunn. Roger would eventually become Arcane, one half of the Cranberry Show, which was the first group that um, I managed. And um, it, it just so he did that. Then he told me he had a friend who rapped. And I was like, all right. And then one day he was like, we're a rap group now. And I'm like, okay, that's great. And then about two or three weeks later, they were like, we want you to look at this contract. A college invited us to perform. And we told them that you're our manager. And that's how that happened. I was like, but I'm not your manager. And they were like, but we told them. And so now you are. And I was like, okay. And then when they told me the name of the group, I was like, yo, I can't manage a group called The Cranberry Show. I don't even know how to sell that. Like, why would you guys call yourself that as a rap group? And they were like, no, because we're diluting the rap system like cranberry juice dilutes your kidneys. And I was just like, well, here we go. (laughs) I guess I'm managing the cranberry show. Um, But I learned so much from them, Mm -hmm. them being two young black men who were skateboarders who took their skateboards everywhere, including clubs on the north side. So imagine me at the door being like, yo, they got to bring their skateboards in. Otherwise, we can't perform. And like big, burly security guards being like, it's fuck on. I don't care. And it's like, no, no, no. But we actually got to perform tonight. So you got to let us in and they got to bring the skateboards. And I promise they won't do anything like ride them in the in the building which they also did. So amazing. <laughs> well, that's also when I learned about the importance of having insurance on a band. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And I'm glad you met, uh, mentioned flyers again cuz when we were talking about that, I also wanted to add um, you know, put together a street team with your fans, right? So any fan that wants to go around and and flyer and postcard and stuff, make sure they get on the guest list for their shows. Make sure you're covering the cost. Um, of those flyers and posters and they're taking photos of it and letting you know and then you can put them on the guest list so take your passionate fans uh and and put them to work for you or your family members my mother sat me down on christmas i wasn't expecting this i was coming by for the free meal as single unmarried childless people do you go to the family for the holidays with tupperware like Mm -hmm. what's popping and she was like you know i just want to run some ideas by you my mother does not do marketing so i was not prepared for this and she was like you know i could wear a t-shirt with your company logo on it to work on Fridays if you wanted me to. And like, I know my coworkers would ask me what it was and I could get a tote. You could get me a tote bag and I could just kind of wear that around the city. And when me and your sister go on vacation, you could give us flyers. And so when I told my sister, she was like, I know mama didn't volunteer me on my vacation, but like put your passionate family members to work too. And so when she was like, um, and you know, you should have commercials don't think I didn't go home the next day and get all in prices because if you got suggestions, I presume you also have money. So let me put this in your hand, mom, and we're going to see how that go. A hundred percent. I mean this in the best way possible. Take advantage of the relationships that are around you. My parents run a swim team. There's definitely swimmers here. So, you know. And her mom is amazing, by the way. Oh, as a side note. I love her mom. Because of my relationship with her, her mom actually brought me on to MC an event that her mom was doing mm. um, for um, some organizing that her mom had been working on. And so 
yes, engage your family, but also understand this. Sometimes artists get really upset because they're like, my people don't support me and blah, blah, blah. You got to tell people what you need them to do because sometimes the needs are so great. Family don't really know where to plug in. My mom saying I can wear a t-shirt on Fridays. I'm going to get my mom a t-shirt. I'm going to get it for her in a couple colors. I'm going to make sure she got a t-shirt every Friday for one month that she can wear for my company. And she was like, I know my coworkers will want some. Okay. Because we can get them an order too. And so I think, you know, just making sure that you have a call to action or making sure you're listening to your family say how they want to support you. Because I think by and large, people want to support you. Your family wants to see you win. Your family wants to see you pursue your dreams. Um, sometimes they just need to know how, especially if they're not familiar with the industry that you, you're trying to work in. Which I'll call back to what I was saying at the beginning of this episode, your fans don't know how to support you unless you tell them, Mm -hmm. right? So I'll Mm -hmm. say for like the third time, if you are just popping up a Spotify link and I'm not saying don't do that, um, we'll get through that in the methodical order. Um, that's fractions of a penny. But when you're pushing the pre-order, when you're monetizing the music before it's even out and saying, this is the best way to support me, well, then they know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they don't know. Yeah. So tell us about your time in artist management. What, what does an artist manager do? So being a woman in artist management first is hard, mm. especially when you're in a, a male-dominated industry because I think sometimes... Sometimes artists feel like just in general, the relationship is that you're a yes person Mm. and I ain't nobody yes person. So if your idea is trash, it's trash. And if it's without purpose, right? Like I don't mind a a unique idea, but like, let's let it be purposeful. Um, But I, the Cranberry show was interesting because we, I got to do different things with them. So first of all, they were hip hop group, but they were also skateboarders. Nobody else in Milwaukee was performing at skate parks. So I was reaching out to skate parks. Like, can we perform? So we did shows out in Minneapolis. We also did prom. Mm. Prom was ambitious because we did get kicked out. I'm just going, we got kicked out of prom. The boys brought their skateboards and there were apparently female skaters in the room. And so females, a couple women took their skateboards. They're in dresses. They're skating. And, um... I won't say the high school's name, but they promptly pulled us out and were like, your performance is done. And I was like, damn it, I've never been kicked out of anywhere. Um, But it was an opportunity for me to make these connections in terms of where are these other spaces that my artists can be that other people won't be in. It's also the first time that I really kind of got familiar with the idea of selling. And what I mean by that is you guys are not just artists, whether you're a painter, sculptor, producer, vocalist, whatever. Like you're not just that thing. There are values connected to what you're doing. And that is what makes people consume your art. No Studios has a brand. That brand is connected with values, right? Things that they believe that are immutable, that do not change. And so people come here and spend their money and have meetings and do podcasts because those values resonate with them. So we're at this show on the north side, the one where the security guard was like, you know, fuck about no skateboards. Y'all can't bring them in here. And we was like, we really need to be in here, though. So we go in. It's a um, it's one of those shows where you have to pay to be in it. I hate those shows. Mm, we'll talk about that. But I, we did it because we wanted to see if we could actually win on the north side. We won 
the showcase. My two artists made up a game at the pool table and they were really just throwing the pool balls, right? This was the game they made up. Roger, dark-skinned, glasses. This little kid comes up, dark-skinned, glasses. And he says to Roger, you're a nerd just like me. And I heard it and I was like, oh shit, we're not just selling music. We're selling irreverence. Mm -hmm. We're selling the space to be yourself. Mm -hmm. We're selling inclusion. We doing something way bigger than music. And even though we weren't using the term branding or culture or community at that point, I recognized that if I could mobilize people around that, if we could make sure that energy was in our posts, in our shows, in our comments, that people would get around that, whether they like the music or not. And the reality is I'm looking at shoes that folks have on. I'm looking at what, what M has on. All of us make purchasing decisions based on values, mm-hmm. right? It's why people not fucking with Kanye right now. Values, Right. And so keep that in mind as you're building what you're building. You're not just selling a CD. You're selling values. Mm -hmm. You're selling a brand. You're building a community. You're building a culture. You can't go to a Yo-Yo Ma concert dressed like you would to a Migos concert. It disrespects the culture, right? So like, think about that. And so for me, going back to the original question of artist management, that's what I learned. And that carries has carried me with every artist and everything I've ever touched since then. I love that. And so how did that evolve into building a content production and media company supporting independent artists? I don't even know. It just, (laughs) I think just being open to the ride, I recognized that I no longer wanted to do artist management because it felt like babysitting to me, Mm. right? Um, And it prevented me from doing the work I really wanted to do. I wanted to see my artists get sponsorship deals. I wanted Mm. to see them... Um, working with larger brands. And for me as a manager, doing the day-to-day, doing the promotion, doing the press releases, which is how I learned I don't like press releases. Like doing all of that, it prevented me from really being able to ideate and and think through um, ideas that way. So two campaigns that I've done since then that kind of punctuate this, this space that I knew I wanted to be in. One, I did a lingerie campaign a few years ago. Um, During the pandemic, it was 10 months. It was great. Chef's kiss. Me and my team put it together. And I was also the face of the campaign. My mom was not happy. Um, And somebody in the street sent her a picture of me and was like, is this your kid? And I'm like, you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like only fans material, right? It was beautiful. It was was beautiful. It was was fucking well well done. done. The shot that the shoot that we did at Villa Terrace. Oh, that'll blow your mind. Okay. Okay. But the reason I did that is because I think there's this space for independent creatives and businesses that has yet to be exploited. And I use that word specifically, whether it's an artist who really loves puppies. Why are we not building deals with the Wisconsin Humane Society? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, why are we not doing that? Right. Those are you don't have to be Beyonce to be worthy of making money by working with brands, because, again, you have values. So your personal values show up in the music that you perform. I hope so. I make the joke that, like, we've never seen a video of Oprah and Gail twerking. Right. Never. Now, I think Gail is the twerker. Just say that. I think it's her. 
But <laughs> but you've never seen that shit, right? Because it goes against the values. Mm. You will never see that stuff. You know what I'm saying? And so it's like, how do we how do we stay true to those values? But also, how do we connect those values at a local and regional level? So I had the opportunity to also work with a nonprofit mm-hmm. where I built an influencer style program for them. They were looking to do more work in diverse communities. I curated the list of artists, gave the, the artists their talking points, and it was a really successful campaign. But I think it's just the start of this industry that's available for artists and businesses and nonprofits. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is most nonprofits and businesses don't have the resources to make those connections. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to find the artist. They don't have the time to work with you. And sometimes they don't have money. So don't work with them if they don't have the money, right? Because you're lever- what you're leveraging is your fan base and educating your fan base on why You shouldn't kick puppies in the face, which also you should not do. But you shouldn't be telling folks that publicly for free. But if an artist doesn't, if they're building their following, do you think it's because I love your point on like working with nonprofits, Mm -hmm. like I guess lecture at Appalachian State in their artist management class and they have to manage artists. And I, I remember being so proud of a student group that, you know, had put together a campaign like with a local bar and had like a drink named after the artist and stuff. So we're I've never done a branding episode because kind of because of what I'm talking about now, you need to build up your audience to be attractive to brands, but we are actually going to do a branding episode. Um, We're going to do a special episode. Um, But I think when you're coming up, it is okay to, to work with things for promotion. You know what I mean? So like you said, I think the Humane Society is a great example and they're not going to reach out to you. You know what I mean? So if that's something you're passionate about. And I think it's the scale of the campaign. Yeah. Right. So if it's a larger scale campaign, like a 10 month thing, no, you should not do that yeah. for free. Right. But if it's some issue based work for a few weeks, you know what I'm saying? Again, to give you an opportunity mm-hmm. to test it out. Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Right. I've done a ton of free work for years. Right. So I'm never going to tell anybody don't ever do anything for free. That's how yeah. I got a lot of these bylines and things like that. But I do think that to your point, look, there's different types of influencers. Right. You can be a nano influencer. Right. That pastor and in, in front of that church. Mm-hmm. He's an influencer. Right. You can be a micro or a macro influ- influencer. And so to M's point, have a following. Mm-hmm. Prove that you can move them to action. Right. Because ultimately, that's what this business is paying you to do to move folks to action, to educate them, to get new followers. They want your audience. Um, So you do have to have a following and you do have to substantiate that um, and substantiate that they're an active audience. Yeah. And so what I'm saying, when you're coming up, if they have a larger audience, I totally agree with you. Don't do a 10-month campaign, Mm -hmm. but it's cool to connect with different nonprofits um, and even an an up-and-coming brand, you Mm -hmm. know? And I'll say that I did that lingerie campaign for free. So I paid my team, but that business didn't pay me anything. They just gave me the free lingerie. And I did it as proof of concept. Could I get people in the store? How Mm. much were they spending? So you said or talked earlier about data. I'm huge on data. So I can tell you how many new followers she got. I can tell you how much people spent on average when they came into the store. And I can tell you what that price point connects to, right? If they spent 112 on average, which that is the number, 112 on average when customers came into the store during that 10-month campaign, that means they bought maybe a lingerie set and what we'll call an accessory. Okay, so we won't get into details. Love it. (laughs) 
So we're doing season two here in Milwaukee at No Studios through a Milwaukee lens. And I'm I my intention is in a way that's applicable to other cities, right? Because um, you know, I've said this before, but you know, how you pitch Radio Milwaukee or how you pitch uh, the the music writer at the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is no different than how you pitch Lightning 100 in Nashville or the music writer in Albuquerque in Baltimore, whatever. Um, so I know this is a really open-ended question, but what does Milwaukee mean to you? Because you're, you're very successful. And although you're expanding, you, you've chose to stay here. I mean, cost of living is great. Uh, my mama is here. Um, and I'm, I'm a mama's girl. So that's part of it. Um, also, we have the most beautiful lakefront ever, right? Like, so, and um, what happens to a city when their talent leaves and doesn't come back? Mm. Right. There's a lot of folks who I think would enjoy a free cup of coffee with me for me to just spill tea about all that I've learned. Right. And I, I still do that with artists. Um, and so for me, I think that's that's what makes me stay here. Was that the question? Yeah. Well, just what does Milwaukee mean to you? I mean, I think in a lot of ways, Milwaukee is home. Again, my mom is here. And for me, like, you know, Emily says that I'm successful. I appreciate that. But, you know, my friends and family call me Casey. So I can tell where I know you from if I hear Casey, right? If I hear Casey, I know you know me before 2003, right? Because 2017, even though I I was doing music, let's say from 2008 to 2017, like 2017, my company really made a change. It started to move into this branding space. I did a name change to Katera and started doing more speaking engagements. And I'll tell you, like, I don't know if you experienced this, but like when your space starts to grow and your sphere starts to grow, you really do need that grounding. You need a place mm-hmm. where you can call home because people who call me Kanita is because they know me from work, right? Like M knows me from work, right? Mm-hmm. But people who know Casey, they knew me as a six-year-old when I had a jerry curl. It looked good. <laughs> it looked good. Let me be very clear. I was still flying out here in these streets as a six-year-old. But um, I, I think for me, Milwaukee is home. Milwaukee is a space where I can come out in a satin bonnet and my raggedy uh, sweatpants and go to Syndix and get macarons because I'm bougie, but I like to be comfortable. So, <laughs> so, so if you see me in the streets with my satin bonnet, don't feel like you can't talk to me, right? That's just a day where I know I'm not supposed to be on camera and that should be okay. So um, yeah, Milwaukee's home. It's where I, I grew my chops. And I think the other thing for me, for all of you who are here, Milwaukee is a space where you really are one person away from the decision maker, Mm -hmm. if not zero people away. So it is really an opportunity for you to build your blueprint and practice talking to people. And that's what Milwaukee has given me. Milwaukee has given me the opportunity to hustle. And because I don't think Milwaukee has its identity yet, it was also an opportunity. It's been an opportunity for me to define who I am. And to live in that space and to build a resume and a LinkedIn page based off of that. So that's what Milwaukee is for me. It's always home. 
That is so true about um, being zero or one people away, like or one person away. I grew up um, in a village called Heartland, where I used to say there was no music industry, but now, and this is what this podcast is about. This was before the internet. You can build a career from anywhere. Mm-hmm. But my parents' really good friends owned the music shop in town. And I totally took for granted, really until a few years ago, when I ran into Ellen McDonald at NAM, the National Association of Music Merchants, and their massive conference. She's on the board of NAM. I've known her like since I was bo- since I was a baby. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So you don't always realize the resources you have around you. And I also want to reiterate the cost of living thing. I mean, I call it like with like. Wisconsin currency. I mean, we're not Mississippi or something, but that's a huge advantage, you know, and you can hear that um, in the Get Your Art Together episode from season one, where where I interviewed Justin Vernon um, with my New York University students, because they asked, they're like, you know, do we have to live in these expensive cities? And I explained that I knew, I mean, I know this is going up, but I knew you could get a decent room, rent a decent room in Milwaukee for maybe like 500 bucks. And I remember meeting Bon Iver's um, first and longtime manager, Kyle, at South by Southwest in like 2008. And his, I don't even think it was rent. I think it was mortgage up north was like $200 a month, you know? So like, this is an amazing place um, to build to build a career. You, like you, you said this to me once and I quote you on this all the time. Mm. Milwaukee is a small city with big city amenities and you're close to Chicago. You're an hour and a half flight away from New York, you know? And, and I'm gonna keep saying this, like Justin Vernon has built an empire from what we call up north, right? Like from Eau Claire. So um, I actually think, this is an amazing place to build a music career. There's even, um, I believe, a sound engineer on Beyonce's new album, Renaissance, who's in Ohio. Cool. I love that. And they went and did a story on him. And he's like, yeah, this is my home. It's quiet. It's chill. And I've proven I don't need to be on one of the coasts to be uh, successful. That's right. Exactly. So last question for me, what are our strengths as a music community here in Milwaukee and how can we improve? Hmm. Um... Well, it's a small city with big city amenities. <laughs> um, you know, I think, again, I think because Milwaukee doesn't have an identity, it's an opportunity for artists to really explore who they want to be musically mm-hmm. or, in a, or in any other arts discipline. It's an opportunity for you to really fully explore um, and kind of create your your stamp um, in that. Um, being so close to everybody like, there are very few people that I've emailed and not been able to do coffee with. Mm-hmm. Very few people. And um, my taking people out to coffee is just so I can sit and listen and take notes. And I don't waste people's time. The free advice they give me, most of it I use. And I usually follow up with people and tell them how I've used the free advice and what it's gotten me in return. Um, I think those are some of the strengths. It's very challenging to talk about the strengths of Milwaukee musically because as a black woman working in the art space, I see so much of the inequities mm-hmm. and how um, that hurts artists of color across discipline, how it hurts um, artists of specific genre, also with the intersectionality of ethnicity and race. Um what that looks like in terms of venues, what venues you can get into as a patron, but also where you can have your music played. Um, how do you get access to certain radio stations? And so I 
again, I think the strength is cost of living is low. You there are so the other thing I'll say is there's a ton of creative people here. And so being able to build a network um, and work with different people, even if like people, people are collaborating, but I also think people are collaborating quietly. Mm. Right. So the people who are collaborating, they're collaborating quietly. But a lot of people don't like to collaborate, um, which is super weird in a city like Milwaukee, where it's like we could all get on together. Um, I know that. It's going to be very hard to like dissect the, the strengths. And I'm really sorry about that because I was trying super hard. But yeah, cost of living. It's easy to meet people. We got a great food scene. That's true. Um, and we have music organizations. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I used to be vice president of, of Whammy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I think one of the other strengths is seeing people like Emily White, which is why I get irritated when I'm like, yo, like people not researching? Like... She's the shit, but whatever. So like, but I think with, with women like Emily White, Dasha Kelly Hamilton, what they show is what's possible when you're from Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And that is a strength that we have a lot of amazing people, especially women who have gone on to do incredible things on a national and international level and who come back, right? Who make sure that they spend a little bit of time here during the year to support artists. Um, and I think that is incredible because if nothing else, I think it shows a compass of what's possible. Mm. So if you've never been able to touch the dream, Emily White is a part of the dream, right? And for years, I was managing a rock act. Their mother was saying, you've got to meet Emily White. you got to meet Emily White. And I'm like, yo, I really came here for dinner, but okay. <laughs> so like... Um, but she kept saying it for years and years and years. I was doing a local civic engagement initiative. She was doing a national one. I just happened to open Billboard magazine because I'm a reader and I saw Emily White's picture and I was like, I'm shooting my shot today. And so I shot my shot and she responded back. She sponsored my event. She allowed me to help her locally with her event. Um, then we built a friendship through that. I grew to love her mother. I don't know if her mom's fully adopted me yet, but if she's interested, I'm going. And um, we've been friends and now I serve on on her board. And now I'm on a national podcast with Emily White season two. And so I think for me to go back on the strength, that is the most important part for me, that there are so many folks who are in this room right now who have dreams and don't necessarily know it's possible. And while I'm on the stage, I'll also shout out in the back is Allison yeah. from um, Wisconsin Music Ventures, right? And all of the work that um, she's doing over there to amplify Wisconsin music, mm-hmm. curating summer music festivals and mm-hmm. things like that, like incredible work. This shows you that the dream, whatever yours is, is possible. And so I think that's it. Are we at the part where I can talk about what we need to improve? Sure. Great. So what we need to improve, and I need everybody taking notes on this. We need more funding sources for folks other than muralists. Period. Point blank. We need more funding sources for folks who are not muralists in the city. We also have to stop attaching funding to nonprofit status because there are so many artists who right? So like and, and here's the sad part. From the time I was managing artists to now, not much has changed. When my artists wanted to go on tour, there's no funding for that. 
if um, Emily was Wisconsin based and low on funds or whatever and wanted to tour her book, there's no fund for that. There's nowhere she can go to get funding here in Milwaukee, here in Wisconsin to allow her to tour. If you're um, a touring artist, that money is just not here for you. Right. We only have a few funding sources. They're all nonprofits. And you can't even get access to that money if you are not attached to a nonprofit. That's one. Two, they're primarily funding murals. I have done op-eds on this. I've been very public about this. I was public about it when I was at Imagine MKE. We cannot have a thriving music community when artists do not have access to what they need. Now, there's also no funding for artists to be able to hire a PR person. Mm-hmm a marketing person, but also those people don't really exist for independent artists in Milwaukee, except me, of course. So holla at your girl. (laughs) Um, The other thing that I'll say is, again, collaboration. We should be trying to collaborate, Mm -hmm. but smart collaborations, right? Like don't just collaborate for the sake of collaborating. Collaborate with people you really love and be invested in the ideas. But I think funding is is huge Mm -hmm. because that is the different, that's what people need. You can't barter to go on tour. You know what I'm saying? I can't barter with my landlord and be like, yo, I will give you 13 hugs for rent this month. Like, and if he go for that, he a creep, right? So like, <laughs> you got you to gotta have money. That's, that's just it. And we don't have the money and the money opportunities here for folks in Milwaukee to tour. And that's even, right? That's even less for artists of color. And we got to ha- start having conversations about that. The other thing I'll say is lowballing. We got to really set a standard rate for what it costs for me to do a mural, what it costs for me to perform at your venue. Right. And like, I know that's getting close to a word that we really don't like in Milwaukee. So I'm not going to say the word. But the reality is we don't have a standard rate. A lot of our artists who are full time, they don't have access to health care. They don't have access to some of these basic needs. Right. So they may have a full time job, which prevents them from being able to practice their art. I think I'll close out by saying we deserve artists. And I'll quote, I'll quote Rosie Petrie, who said, if people don't understand the value of the arts, think about how you spent your pandemic. You was watching Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. If you went to Summerfest during the pandemic, you didn't see J-Lo. You saw a local ass artist because J-Lo was not coming, right? Mm-hmm. Because she couldn't. People couldn't fly in. So you had whoever was in Milwaukee performing. Um, and so arts, you were reading books. You were taking a virtual cooking class. Art saves lives. And it saved us during the pandemic when we couldn't connect with people in any other way. And here in Milwaukee, we have to invest more in our arts community as a whole. Period. Our local theater, our local, local theater, our local, local dancers, right? Folks who don't have access to some of that UPATH money. We just we have to. Otherwise, those people leave the arts community and they never come back. They leave Milwaukee and they never come back. Well, thank you, Kanita. Thank you for your time today. I hope I didn't talk too much. No, not at all. (laughs) Um, Does anyone have any questions for Kanita? Anything online? Cool. Oh, no, 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 no. I will. I promise. Yeah, thank you. Cool. Um, well, Kanita, you're the best. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I hope I ain't talk you out. You're all. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. All good. So I just want to spend, um, a little more time with you guys just to wrap up. So 
let's ditch the word marketing for a second. That's not, not always uh, our favorite word as artists. So I want to hear from you all again. What has worked to spread the word on your music and connect and, and connect with your audience for you? Has there, has there been anything that's worked that hasn't worked? Oscar, not to put you on the spot. It's okay if not. Yeah. I'm just curious, like what's worked for you guys with connecting and dare I say marketing? Hi folks. Um, my name is Oscar. Nice to meet you all who I haven't seen yet. And this camera. Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, the reason why I hesitated to answer that question is because I haven't really tried putting myself out there. I, I've, I've been, for a large part of my career, I've been painfully scared of failure in this field. And because of that, I haven't put myself out there. Now, I'm still young, and knock on wood, I have a lot of time to go, but I think what's really going to work for all of us, as I said this last time too, so I'm going to sound like a broken record, but I think what's going to work for all of us is really getting out of our comfort zone in places like this and getting to network, getting to talk to each other, because for artists like us to live in a bubble is like detrimental to creating great art, um, showing art to great people, and improving others' lives with our art. So I think uh, the keywords here for me are getting out of our comfort zone and talking to people. Love it. So anyone else, what has worked or not worked for you? Eli. And you can say Eli. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm Eli. Um, yeah, just like kind of very similar to you, Oscar, just participating in the community that you're in. Um, in Milwaukee is good because it's pretty small. There aren't that many different scenes. Um, this past year, I formed a band and then, I don't know, I feel like the climax is we debuted a music video at Cactus Club. What's your band called? Uh, called The Girl. Um, I sing and I write the songs. Um, but, you know, a lot of the people that I ended up working with, I just met, um, you know, I, I met one very important person um, playing poker. Um, you know, didn't have anything to do with music. Um, and then also, one thing that I would I was always afraid of was like, you know, I didn't want to put myself out there um, before I thought everything was perfect. That's that's bullshit. Like, I was always worried about, oh, are these the right people in my band? Blah blah blah. You end up meeting who you're supposed to meet when you kind of just like take the step forward. Um, and yeah, I would say I guess like whatever risk you feel like you need to take that you're afraid to take, like that's, that's like the step, you know, that's, that's the dream telling you to take the step forward. And then like, you don't know what's going to happen, but eventually it leads to something. So I don't know that's kind of a vague answer, but. Oh, great. I love it. Uh, well, thank you guys so much. I just want to give uh, a, a quick preview for Tuesday's episode. Get your business affairs together where we will be talking producer deals, songwriting splits, remixes, cover covers, group and band agreements, and so much more with attorney Carl Folks. Carl is a managing partner of the Folks firm and co-founder of EVGLE. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thanks again to the amazing Kanita Hickman and all of you for tuning in online and here at No Studios. We'll see you then.